Hi everyone, today I am with Yolanta and this is the first episode of Technical Tuesdays, a podcast where we interview strong technical talent, be it CTO, software developers, project managers, all sorts of work within the technical space, people that help make and build products. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming Yolanta. Hey Yolanta. Hey Peter. How are you doing? Good, good. To, looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for giving us the opportunity for you to jump onto this podcast and really share your experience. So without further ado, can you please share a bit about your personal journey and how did you end up where you are today? Sure. I guess it all started when I was joining computer-generated graphics and animation. I really enjoyed the half software development, half design angle. It was a very intense course. I think I've, I've not done anything as intense as that course back then. And then I was lucky to get an uh, invitation to join a McDonald's global creative team off the back of Best New Designer show at the graduations. And I decided just to take it as a, the role of, of product designer and, you know, go from there. I realized that I'd, I missed the coding, the development, and switched back to software boot camps and got a job there as a full stack developer. And it's just been last six years joining startups, helping go from zero to one using full stack front end and machine learning tools to, to achieve all kinds of objectives, mostly for marketplaces. So yeah, so that's my journey in a nutshell. I think that's kind of the 12 years summarized. Cool. So you started off in CGI. So for users that don't know, what is that? And what prompted you to make that change to go into software? Again, I think it's the hybrid background I had pre-university, the academic arts school and physics, junior physics school as well. And that analytical side plus creative side uh, seemed to steer me towards that type of course where the, the, it's it's you know, dealing with computers, dealing with fairly technical subject, but then the outcome and output is something creative, something for users, storytelling. So yeah, it was, that's, that's how I guess how I got in there. Nice. So can you tell us what your first coding, coding project was and what did it teach you? So my first coding project was something super ambiguous. It was building marketplaces of marketplaces for a fintech slash consultancy slash startup. To this day, I wouldn't be able to describe what exactly it is, something quite abstract, but that's, that was my first project. And I was a backend developer for that project using Python and all kinds of APIs. So it, it got me into the abstract realm of you know, programming, concept development and I really enjoyed working with the people at the time who are really great developers. Like I would call them magicians. You know, you hear magicians, some developers described as that. So I would call them that. Interesting. And so what did you learn from that first project? A whole bunch of tech, some DevOps, some backend development, but also more about the power of programming in general. I think mm. I didn't realize you can use it in such creative ways. I think we did 
a lot of different pro projects. For example, some of them were for PropTech, how to, how to find out how many people are on the floor using, you know, connecting to the devices that are plugged into Wi-Fi routers. So there were a lot of, a lot of creative, ambitious projects that majority of them maybe didn't take off for current state of development at that time, seven years or six years ago. But it was just, it, it just opened my mind of the, around the possibilities of technology and what we can use to, to achieve with it. So. Nice, nice. Thanks for sharing. I guess, mom, you know, you mentioned the, the power of programming. How would you describe the power of programming? Programming, I think, is a reflection of the programmer. So if you have ethical programmers, you will probably see a lot of amazing output that is responsibly built and enables and pushes the possibilities for you know the user the users and and so on so that so that's the power i guess of programming but with the wrong with the wrong audience with the wrong users i guess programming can be also dangerous it's, it's all about the intent i think with programming i think the intent defines a lot of the output and what, what it does societally Sorry, just, yeah, so that's, that's what I would say about it. Cool, cool. Sounds great. So outside of, actually, before we get into that, what does a typical day look like for you? A typical day nowadays is a, a, a hybrid for me. It looks like a hybrid day. So there might be some concept or MVP development, proof of concept development. So something lo-fi programming. There might be also user research, talking to users, understanding the build, the, the spec and requirements for building, but there might also be prototyping in, in using design tools so, so that it's much faster and quicker than building things out. So I think I'm at a point where I, the day is a bit, a reflection of the requirements for the day. It might be a little bit of design. It could be a lot of, a bit of outreach to users. It could be rough prototype development, I'm a, I'm a bit more specialized in zero to one. So kind of taking off, helping to take off the, the products to take off. I think that's where I kind of, kind of specialize. Cool. Cool. Thanks for that. So outside of work, do you have a, do you have a few passion projects or hobbies that, you know, intersect with your technical skills? Yeah. So I, I try to keep it no code if possible for outside of work. But I do have a hobby that's kind of similar to software development. I, th I feel it's very similar, which is like creating design patterns for knitting and knitting. I do feel like it's almost like writing a program and then executing that program, you know, running the reading through the codes and executing the type of loop that is in the program. So it does feel like I'm still kind of programming, but in a more physical way, like creating garments, designing garments, but then also writing the program and executing the program myself. And it's kind of a relaxing switch off type of background activity. You can listen to audiobooks or talk to friends. Yeah, I'm like, I do other things outside as well, like more active, like sports and dog walking or looking after some dog sitting. But I try to, I try to stay away from development and design outside of the working hours just to give my brain to, a chance to get over it sort of. And 
refresh. And I, I, I do like to say, you know, high quality work followed by high quality rest. So that's that's the type of thing. So no, no big pet projects. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. I mean, the audience might not be able to see, but looks like you're wearing something that you needed. Is that yes. true? <laughs> it's true. And also I encoded a paragraph into the knitting. <laughs> oh, really? So what does this paragraph say? Well, it's, it's a little paragraph, you know, that right, the words are something special to me. I will probably won't disclose it here, but it's, it basically says each each row is represent alphabet in a number form so like if a is one then you know b is two and that's how many rows it has to you know that's how many rows i have to knit for those letters so it basically the whole sweater is like this one long paragraph i'm wearing in a visual form <laughs> wow wow really special thanks for sharing are there any mentors or influencers in the tech world who have had a significant impact in your career or in the coding space? Yeah, I would say my one of my head of the CTO. So CTO, I had privilege to report into Gavin Sperling at Headbox. I think he left a tremendous impact on how I think about tech, how I build, how I'm not scared of different technologies. It's just a means to an end getting into, you know, just getting into, getting to the point of execution and scrappy in a scrappy form, maybe initially. So he's, and he's also like one of those people I would call like a magician, you know, magician engineer, but also just a great human being in general. Like it was great to work with him for like four years. So I would say that he's my technical influence and inspiration. There are some people in the community I follow, like on Udemy and also there's one one figure I follow for growth mindset, which is growth in terms of conversions and product. She, her name is Elena Werner, and she the, propagates product-led growth and, and all of the ideas around product qualified leads and so on. So just to make sure that the, the product is working harder than humans in a way because the product never sleeps and so on. So I would say those two people kind of inform how I work and think about lots of things so i try to emulate those two people cool that's that's really nice you actually mentioned you know you worked at headbox and so some of the audience or listeners might not know what headbox is maybe you might want to tell us what headbox is and maybe what you did there but also some of the roles you did before headbox and how you know some of your programming skills are put to use in these organizations sure so headbox is event venues Tech. They match the right venues for the right occasions, you know, weddings, di private dining, meeting rooms, or anything else. And I was the first in-house engineer they hired four years, you know, back in the day, in the day, and took on tech lead roles for some of the projects, some of the initiatives, you know, scaling and acquisitions and scaling lead 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 acquisitions as well as supply tailoring. So uh, other roles outside of Headbox, I've been a founding principal product developer at a waste tech startup in Netherlands. I think uh, other than those two roles, I'm currently a product and tech entrepreneur at Antler VC, where I'm potentially hopefully launching my own tech, tech startup. And 
there's a few other roles that were more you know full stack front end senior and and that prior to these three uh, so yeah so that's also how it looks like <laughs> well looks like you've had a handful of experience and what does your work life balance look like and how do you achieve it as a developer yeah so actually i i would say that maybe in my first 2 years of working starting to work after uni i quickly learned that it's not, it, it doesn't look it's not a good look if you work long hours extremely long hours and don't have a good work life balance because a you you get tired you you work start working inefficiently b people don't quite respect that it's not admi- admirable for to them like that you're working long hours because ultimately everyone has families everyone has social life and they don't look up to people who work long hours and in a way you're not modeling a great behavior attitude mindset so i quickly learned that you have to work effectively not hard not long so i would say since 10 years ago i really tried to find just the most effective ways strategies and just everything about almost efficiency impact delivering those results delivering the 10x results but not sacrificing hours just just being very very effective and efficient and that led me in explore all kinds of ways of working frameworks just useful things useful tools that help achieve that you know bang for your money without burning out so i would say the last 10 in years I, i haven't reached a point where i've completely burned myself out and mind you i did work for two startups for 3 years so two startups I, i think like if you want well if you want to test your effectiveness and efficiency i think two startups will do that you know and i would say i wasn't you know maybe once once a year or twice a year there was a bit of a burnout but other than that uh leaning into tried and tested methods industry best practices searching for these people who rec- recommend effective ways of working and frameworks like Elena Burner product led growth is one of those people i think she some people are able to advise what what actually matters especially if you're in this zero to one territory i'm sure in any territory but, but yeah so so that, that's that's a little bit about ways of working i guess Nice, nice. Is is there any a few other frameworks that you think the audience listeners might benefit from? Yeah, I would say if you're in the world of product and zero to one, I would definitely definitely explore pirate metric and reversal of pirate metric. So it's called RARA or ARA because it, uh, it it's a framework that was put together by investors. It's well recognized by investors. It's a framework to test how well your product is doing, how healthy it is, how robust, and it just gives you clarity of what actually matters in in the product world and what where sh- your focus should go. Everything else should be kind of a nice to have. So if you just deliver on the must-haves, and those must-haves are demonstrably doing well, you'll see a lot of success very quickly. So yeah, pirate metric is a good one. I'm a fan of another framework like called situation complication resolution for all kinds of applications like sometimes just discussing or aligning the teams or running small retros or workshops. I am also a fan of you know human-centered design process 
which is a six-step six process, but it just never fails to deliver a successful product ra rather quickly. So to me, it's just if you use foolproof tools and foolproof frameworks that are well-renowned and you don't need to question them, like the research is there, empirical data is there, just use it and they usually lead to very predictable results, which is conversion. And I'm just able to demonstrate, I always have doubters, I always have people who question it. That's just always the case, I would say. But I always have also the measurable results to, 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 to say, hey, you know, it just works. Like, you don't need to question it. Like, just trust the process. You know, in some cases, it's, you, you do have to know the rules to know which ones to break. And, and in startups, I think that what I see a lot is a lot of, you know, cowboys coming in with their guts and gut feelings. That's great. I think that that needs to be there. But I think there's something missed or like you, you, you end up try, trying a lot of things and throwing a lot of things to the wall to see what sticks. And I think that is where effectiveness stops. You know, you start to work long hours, get knackered, get burnt out. And I'm just not a huge fan of that. So, but yeah, that's kind of those, those three frameworks. I'm, I use it to this day and I am always, I always lean into those, those tools that work. So. Well, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. I think some of your beliefs on, on work culture might be contrary to what we know today, which is the hustle hard culture, grind till you get it, work yeah. long hours. Yeah, Essentially yeah. what you're saying is be effective, make the most use of your time so you don't have to grind long hours. So, yeah, and I think the, 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 this advice, like you have to choose whose advice you buy. Uh, I mm. think that advice of hustle hard culture and just, follow your gut, you know, raw gut instincts. Or I think, you know, the, the statistics is that in, in the startup world, nine out of 10 startups will close. So I would mm. say that there is some ill advice in there. And probably it's because of how new, you know, startups in a way are, the technical startups. Although we are approaching what's called the late stage of golden age of innovation, where the, the landscape is pretty saturated by now, like, so I think it is time to evolve a little bit the methods, practices, not so much like structure, but just, you know, I would, I would question those advice because the, the statistics is nine out of 10 startups will not make it. So, yeah. Cool, cool. Thanks for sharing. Moving on to the next question. How do you deal with the stress and pressures that come with being in a tech-related field? Mm, that's a good one because I think technical, especially... Like if you're not careful, because technical has no friction, it's not like architecture where you have to move bricks from one end to another. You can start, you can really move code or programs or concepts around like with no friction, like at the speed of thought. Right. And sometimes what I notice happens is your headspace becomes so fast paced, like so crowded with, and you know, sh the thoughts are shooting so fast all over the place that if mm. you're not careful, you can like walk yourself up to like an anxious state where your, your, your thoughts are busy, if your feelings are busy, and also if your uh, physical sensations are busy, like you can get a bit overwhelmed. Like I'm just going to say that anxiety and anxiousness, I think is quite a common theme in tech world. So you have to be mindful of that. And what I, how I tend to balance it is, you know, make sure that there are plenty of opportunities to 
cool down the mind and warm up the body, for example, go to gym as mm. it's resting and the body is working and then they kind of balance it balance each other out i think the worst case is when you've not moved you're fidgety but then your mind is running 100 miles ahead and the body is not body is completely still and inert i think that's when the problems begin to happen like as long as it's all balanced then it kind of feels fine but yeah that's something to watch out for and i constantly work on it Cool. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Moving on to our next question. What book, technical or non-technical, has had the most influence on your career? Oh, that's a good question. I, I'm a big, I'm a huge lover of clean code. I read it as, you know, obviously it's helped me think about code and structuring it and eloquence in co- in programming. But it also just kind of felt like a psycho- like philosophical book about just in general, like structuring things and you know, being being sound about it. So I really recommend Clean Code. Another one that I swear by and I reread occasionally is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And yeah, Design of Everyday Things is another one. And one more. Yeah, so those three books, I think, hugely impacted and informed my ways of working, ways of thinking. And I come back, come back to those books again, time and again. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Okay. The next question will be, how do you manage to continue learning and stay motivated in such a rapidly changing field? Yeah. So I always say that, well, you, you do have to find yourself in, enthralled by the challenge, I find. And I even wrote like 10 lessons I learned in 10 years of product and tech was that you do have to f- sometimes find a hard grabbing challenge so that that motivation is on tap. So if you find that you're sort of lost, like like lackluster for learning new tech, because you kind of do have to continuously learn. That's almost, I would say, we're paid mostly for just learning tech more than anything else. We're more like detectives who learn and pick up things and figure it out. So yeah, finding a hard grabbing challenge, maybe building a pet project that is exciting and, and has none of those pressures that your real life environment has is another way I found inspired in the past. And maybe sometimes just trying, like if you're curious about a particular tech, just go and try and do it because that might reinvigorate your excitement for tech. And it's, I've been programming intensely with like about six, six or seven years now. And that those are the things that worked. And now I'm again... I found myself in an exciting problem space and I'm noticing again how quickly the learning is happening in the background. Like it's really powerful to be in some way enticed by it. And if it's not in your day job, then maybe it can be in your side project or maybe switching things up, leaving the day job and going for an accelerator. I've done Techstars and I've done Antler VC and I found that those things really reinvigorated the excitement for learning. So yeah, so I I would try a number of things to just keep that interest going. Nice, nice. Seems like you've taken up quite a lot of challenges. Challenges? Yeah, hopefully mostly exciting challenges, yeah. Oh, for sure. And what is the most common misconception people have about your job? 
that it's boring. I think that's the most common misconception. And I had that misconception myself, but I used to work as a toy designer for McDonald's. And I can tell you with confidence that programming is way more interesting and exciting. It's actually super creative as well. And people who like to think in terms of concepts, ideas, programming is more is more fun for it. Like, so why would, you know, a lot of women are still not maybe ex extremely excited about programming, but whenever I meet someone who's knitting, I tell them, oh, you're a programmer, you don't know it. Or, or <laughs> if someone's creative and quirky and, I tell them, well, you're pro you might enjoy coding because it really is that it's super creative, actually. So it's just that instead of pixels, you're using, you know, lines of code. So, but yeah, mm -hmm. I, I can talk for everyone. I mean, technically with CSS, you could use pixels. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, true, true, actually, that's true. But CSS, I feel like is the least interesting part of all of the stack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, I guess the styling. It's an interesting perspective because I love CSS, but we're not going to get it. <laughs> 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 so we're not going to get into this one now, unfortunately. I guess this is a much more challenging question, but happy to hear from you. Can you share an instance when you failed at something and what did you learn from it? Yeah, when I failed at something. So actually that happened super early in my career. Uh, that happened almost as my first project. I was just after uni and I joined this big corporation, you know, and big agency and there were mostly guys in the team. Like actually I was the only female in the team and I, I was just really petrified of making a mistake. And there was a project right. that I had to deliver it. They kind of trusted me to deliver something interesting, different. And I took it on. And I remember we had like samples delivered of what the product came out to be. And the product looked so bad. Like it just looked so plain boring, not good in person. It looked okay as like a, a sketch or whatever. And I was just petrified. I was like, wow, they're gonna, I think they're gonna fire me because really it, it, this is not acceptable. It looks so bad. It, it's not, and they, and they were, you know, they were saying that, you know, oh, it looks so funny. It's not, well, that's never gonna happen. And I don't know, I think what I learned from that is that making mistakes was, is okay because what I learned later is that you know, th th that was just one prototype. We, we usually go through more prototypes. You have to create space for failures and refinement and revision and have that growth mindset. It's not perfectionist mindset. You have to be okay with 80-20. 80-20 done is better than perfect. And you, you always have to create space to iterate. So second iteration, third iteration. Apple does five iterations on their products. Uh, on their tech, on their everything. So five iterations. So that's what I learned. And I think it just created so much space to be relaxed about making mistakes and tr making as many mistakes. Actually, the more mistakes you make, the quicker you'll be succeeding with in, against other people. So, yeah, but I remember that that moment when I was so petrified. I was like, wow, they're definitely firing me at any moment now. But then I learned that, phew, you know, there was space to failure, to fail. And that was excellent. And I tried to keep, create that culture with, with in my teams as well, to that space to fail, fail and be okay with scrappy and, you know, be okay with done is better than perfect. Nice, nice. Thanks for sharing. You know, in the beginning, you, you said that you were the only female and sort of like a male driven team. Not to dwell too much on that, but really interested to how that felt like and how did you manage it and, and you know, tech today is still very male dominated. So 
how have your feelings about that changed over you know the past 10 years for example yeah so you know what i was also in the in the computer cgi course i was also the one of the few out of 40 or 30 students like the only females and it has in product design and also software development it just remained roughly that ratio either the only female or the only of the two in you know you know 90 or 95 percent male dominated so i think there's something to say about both two sides on one side uh, you you yes you are dealing with you know competing with i, I don't know competing maybe sometimes i don't, I don't want to become too sexist saying things here but we, we do have our differences right so sometimes i have to communicate in ways a guy would or for me i, I i'm a bit more maybe relaxed then it doesn't come across as strong uh i sometimes have to match some of the bullshit people around me to make my point come across so that's a bit like a struggle but i guess that that's everyone's struggle in some way and on the positive side whenever you're a minority and you're doing well as well as others you kind of stand out because you're you know you're memorable uh, so it, it oftentimes helped me that i was the only female in the room because you know what I mean? Like you, you by by definition, you become you stand out and you become a bit more memorable as well. So I would say there's privileges in that too. So I, I don't like one-sided arguments, lopsided arguments that oh it's all bad, it's all not great. I would say it's probably as much great as it is not great. So but that that could be said about said about anything. So that's my view on it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. I will be moving on to the next question. And if you could go back in time, what advice would you give to younger you? And I'm going to repeat this. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give to your younger self at the start of your career? I would say, yeah, that, that advice on failure. I think it would be so great if we found a way to be okay with failing or, or that being part of the process very much. I think it comes from schools where we're graded, we're kind of shamed for it. Like, and I think it has a place. It's, it's there to train obedient, you know, menial workers in some ways you could say, but if we could get over the, the failures and just make that part of the process a bit more or be, make it just a feedback mechanism so failure means it's a it's a one with a minus and success means it's a one with a plus you know so it just helps you steer it's it's a steering mechanism left or right left or right you constantly have to assess so yeah and, and not be scared of failure not be petrified of it and even if you get fired or something well that's great because you are already not in a not growth mindset environment so just just, 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 I would say that that's, that's the advice I would give to my 21 petrified self. <laughs> cool. Cool. Thanks for sharing. How has technology affected your outlook on the world or personal life? So that's an interesting question because recently all the releases of, you know, generative AI and AI in general and how all the platforms that are emerging that help democratize AI to everyone. I mean, I do, I do wonder sometimes walking around 
on the streets. I'm like, oh, I wonder how everything's going to look and feel in five years where we will have these, you know, advancements rolled out to, to mar mass market use and so on. So I'm curious, I'm curious, a little bit scared. Um, I, I did have some nightmares with very vivid stories of like AI predicting every, every facial movement extremely accurately. And, and if it wasn't a classification that it preferred, then you were very accurately, you know, pu not punished, but you know, so all these, all these scenarios, I guess, but that this goes back to my, the point I was mentioning earlier, I think it's about making it available to ethical groups and ethical development ethical supervision and, you know, that good intent. So then we can use it, leverage it for, 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 you know, positive outcomes and prevent negative outcomes as much as possible, as, as much as we did in last, you know, millennial of humanity. So, I mean, it's starting to sound epic. I think my concern is that the only concern is that it's not as accessible as other things in the past were, like internet was accessible to everyone, but generative AI is not that accessible, so, for example. So it's almost part of the challenge now. It, it lends itself better for being kind of clustered in, in, in the hands of the few, but hopefully it won't happen like that. Hopefully we'll develop a whole toolkit for lots of, lots of people to be able to supervise the supervisors. So, yeah. Cool. That's very interesting. And I think offline, I will have a few more discussions about, about this. What could you be doing if you weren't in the tech industry? Yeah, I, you know, I sometimes ask myself that. And I was like, if I had million, billion, <laughs> what would I do? Then, then the answer goes back to the same, that I would still probably be just trying to work out a product, a service that actually is useful to you people, that makes a difference. So I think I'm in the right in the right spot for... For this, I mean, jokingly, I'll say if I wasn't doing that, what I'm doing now, I and I wouldn't be able to, then I'd probably like, I don't know, go to like some nun's home or something like something completely different, like become a hermit full time or something. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. Can you share something surprising about yourself that not many people know about? Yeah, well, I guess well, that this, this was it, like the one I just said, I think I would surprise surprisingly or not i would probably just choose a you know a, a life of a hermit or something go to a, yeah i don't know like nun's home or like a cave or something like yeah so other than that there's nothing there's nothing really that comes to my mind wow that's super interesting and i guess this might be our final question if you had the power to change one thing about the tech industry, what would it be and why? So currently, I think this whole, you know, access to supervision, control and security and safety, prevention and of AI, I guess, and also rights to remain, remain unlabeled, rights to remain unclassified, rights to remain forgotten, so that we have ability widely to to opt out or 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 shield or whichever it is and yeah and, and so not sure how that might look like but that's 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 one thing i would 
probably change if I had unlimited, you know, resources and so on. Wow. Very, very powerful. So it's giving people the power they deserve. <laughs> well, this will bring us to the end of our podcast. And this has been a very like strong podcast. I feel like I've learned a lot about you. I think you have a lot of very strong skills and frameworks that you've developed over time. And, you know, just your career progression from graphics all the way to software development is super impressive. And just looking at your background, doing a bit of online research, and learning a lot about you, it's, it's, it's the reason why you are where you are today. So I just want to take this time to thank you so much for, you know, giving us and our audience this time to get to know you better. No, thank you so much. Peter. I think I think uh, thanks so much for all the in, uh, very interesting questions and also I think if yeah they were spun back to you it would be the same type of intriguing yeah uh, answers. So thanks so much for your time. All right, Yolanta. Until next time. Bye bye. Goodbye.